Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our substitute teaching leaders, Jacob Weirson, will be discussing Genesis chapters 15 and 16. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, and join Jacob as he shares truths from God's Word. Hello, BSF family. It is such a privilege and an honor to be with you today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacob Weerson. I'm a co-substitute teaching leader here at BSF Young Adult St. Louis. Uh, and we are in Genesis chapters 15 and 16 for this week's lesson. So as you're getting your Bible out, I've got my Bible out here. Um, it's kind of a pocket Bible. I love reading out of it. It's a little smaller than the one that I normally use, um, but I find it pretty handy. Uh, and uh, as you are opening your Bible, I've got my lecture notes on the right. So if you see me turn into my right, it's because uh, I've got my lecture on my computer screen over here. And as you open um, the scriptures today, I want us to think about something um, as we dive into Genesis 15. So I want you to think about the people in your life that you turn to uh, in times of difficulty when you maybe need support, when you need advice. Oftentimes, this could be the people, right, that know us the best. So it could be a friend. It could be a close family member. Uh, Maybe it's a parent or um, it's a pastor or a ministry leader. Um, Whoever that is, I want you to think about that and the relationship that you have with that person. And then... With that context in mind, we're going to dive into Genesis 15 and 16, and we're going to uncover and we're going to discover some qualities, some amazing qualities about the God that we serve. Um, see, we encounter God in these verses as shield and protector. Protector. We encounter him as promise keeper. We encounter him as the very real and ever-present one who sees, who knows, and who understands us completely. And I hope that at the end of the discussion today, Um, that our awe, our love, our worship, and our humility would increase as we understand more about the eternal great God that we serve. So have that perspective in mind. We're in Genesis chapter 15. We have two divisions today in our lecture outline. The first division is simply Genesis 15, and that's God's faithful provision. And the second division is Genesis 16, which is God's faithful presence. And our big idea today is that God faithfully provides his protection, his blessing, his covenant, and his presence to his people. Let me say that again. So the big idea, the main takeaway is going to be God faithfully provides his protection, his blessing, his covenant, and his presence to his people. So that's our big idea. Let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into Genesis chapter 15. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to have community, even during these difficult times of maybe isolation and social distancing. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful that you continue to give us your word and the truths from your word. So I pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts as we take away these spiritual truths as we dive into Genesis 15 and 16. Lord, may they not be my words, but yours. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you meet us. We thank you that you never leave us and forsake us. We thank you that you're with us even now as we open your word. And I pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 15. So the outline of this lecture, pretty standard, two divisions, two principles. 
I do want a quick caveat here as we dive into our divisions. Um, there are going to be little nuggets of truth that I might um, turn or just uncover a little bit. Um, I don't want us to miss that. They're, these are powerful truths, so they might not explicitly <laughs> highlight our principle at the end of each division, but don't worry. I promise I'm going to keep us on track. I just want us to not miss some of these spiritual truths and, and nuggets that are found throughout Genesis 15 and 16. So just a disclaimer, that's where we're going. But I, again, I promise I'm going to keep us on track and I'll be faithful to the outline here as we're studying Genesis. So division one, let's get out our Bibles. Let's dive in the very first verse. I want to read this because it's really the foundation of the rest of our lesson this week. So Genesis 15 verse one, it reads this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The Lord said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So that's a beautiful verse. Let's provide some context. If you remember from last week's lesson, um, we were reading about a lot of battles. We were reading a lot, a lot about Abram and um, the encounters that he had with the other kings in the land. So why is God telling Abram that he is his great shield? He's his great reward. Why is he telling Abram not to fear? Well, as I mentioned, let's start with the first one. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Well, again, Abram just came out of great battles. Um, in last week's lesson, as we learned, God is reminding Abram that he is going to protect him, that he promises to be with Abram no matter what happens, no matter what dangers that he faces in this life, God is with him. God will protect him. And we also read about, as we learned in last week's discussion, there was a talk of treasure. There were talks of rewards after these battles. Uh, we even learned that Abram refused a great treasure from the king of Sodom. But God is telling Abram here that true treasure, true reward, true satisfaction can be found only in God. That Abram was right to choose God as his ultimate reward and shield. See, God is the source of all life. He is the source of our salvation. So he is our great reward. And we can actually take these verses to heart as well. Because God, as believers, he is our protector and shield. And as we're going to unpack and discover in the next few verses, he is our great reward. So with that in mind, God is telling Abram, I will protect you. I will be your reward. And in verses 2 and 3, we discover and we are reminded that Abram He's a great patriarch of the, of the faith, but he is still a human being. And as human beings, we have fears, we have doubts, we have insecurities. Uh, Abram's human. He needs to be reminded of the eternal spiritual truths as we often need to be reminded every single day. So Abram's coming to God in verses two and three. He's asking God, he's like, hey, you said that you'd give me a son, but right now as it stands, I don't have a son. Um, in fact, the person who's going to inherit my land um, is Eleazar of Damascus. Uh, Abraham says in verse three, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Um, now I want us to take a pause real quick because we're going to encounter a very interesting dialogue between Abram and the Lord. Um, but just quick, quick question here as we read this verse. But I, I wonder, do we bring our fears? Do we think, do we bring the things that we hide in our heart, perhaps our doubts, even our uncertainties, do we bring those to an all-knowing God. Again, God promises to be his to be our protector, to be our shield. Do we bring what concerns us to the throne of grace? 
You might think, how can I bring my doubts to God? How can I bring my uncertainties? Don't those show a lack of faith? Hold up. Let's see how God actually encounters Abram with his questions, with his doubts. We read in verses four through five, God gently reminds Abram of the eternal promises that were made to him. And let's read in verse six, which I think is outstanding. And and, and here's another spiritual nugget that I want us to highlight. So verse six says in, Gen- in Genesis 15, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So what did Abram believe? Verses four through five. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. So again, highlighting his promise to Abram that he will be faithful to his promise. Um, he Then God took him aside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars if you indeed can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. So here again, the Lord is highlighting his promise, his covenant to Abram. And Abram in verse six uh, believes the Lord and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. Now, what does this verse mean? For some context, I want us quickly to turn to Romans chapter four, verses 20 through 24, because this is an important uh, doctrine and truth that we can highlight from these passages. And we're going to talk about briefly about this doctrine of justification. See, all of this is connected. Um, God is promise keeper. God is faithful. Um, God crediting this as Abram believes God's promise to him, crediting him to, to uh, as righteousness. Let's read though verses twenty through twenty four as a good context. I have to uh, a quick shout out to our co substitute, my co substitute teaching leader Caitlin Meyer, who uh, brought this up in leaders meeting. I think this is these are great verses to connect back um, to uh, Genesis fifteen. So Romans quickly Romans uh, four twenty through twenty four. And Paul writes, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for those who believe in him, who was raised, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. So it's making a connection here to us as believers today, for, to those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And this is where we're going to get into the doctrine of justification. Um, so we know um, from the scriptures, from the gospel, that our relationship to God is not about our ability to gain his approval, but rather it is undergirded by his grace and his faithfulness. See, Abram believed Abram believed in God's promises and God credited righteousness to him because of Abram's belief. Abram didn't have to do anything. His belief is what secured his righteousness. Now, we should note here too that the Bible teaches the same about salvation, right? It is not earned and it is not freely, excuse me, it is not earned, but it is a free gift given by God as we just read in Romans chapter four. And what is this doctrine of justification? You might've heard that word if you've been around the church for a little bit and see I think this is a great definition. I I pulled it uh, online from the Gospel Coalition, which, by the way, is a great resource in case you ever want to read articles about um, Scripture and get a little bit bit more uh, context on the teachings of Scripture. But here's this definition that I pulled from the Gospel Coalition. It says, the doctrine of justification concerns God's gracious judicial verdict pronouncing guilty sinners who turn and trust to Jesus Christ forgiven acquitted of all charges, and declared morally upright in God's sight. 
See, when we come to Christ in faith and repentance, just as Abram believed God's promise in Genesis 15, verse 6, we are forgiven of our sins. We are declared totally righteous because of Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection. We cannot earn forgiveness or right standing with God. We receive it by faith and we trust it in his son. The doctrine of justification is saying, it's a legal term, it's saying we are justified. The penalty of sin, which is death, a debt that we could never repay, has already been taken care of by Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection that sealed the deal, speaks to us and says, you are justified, you are spoken for. We operate now under grace and mercy. It's a profound doctrine. It is the crux of the gospel. And we see it being illustrated illustrated right here in chapter 15, verse 6. And we can rest assured that even throughout our life, whether through life circumstances, through the fluctuations of life, through even our failures, that this justification remains true. It doesn't change because, again, our relationship with God is not dependent on us. It is dependent on his son. And Jesus already took care of that 2,000 years ago through his cross, through his resurrection. I'd encourage you at this point to read the notes because um, it gets into a little bit more deeper, this doctrine of justification. But as you can see, the gospel of grace, it's threaded throughout scripture, Old Old Testament and New Testament. God's grace is highlighted no matter the book of the Bible. Because again, the main story of the Bible is God. It is pointing to salvation in Jesus Christ. So we are seeing the doctrine of justification right here in chapter 15, verse 6. It's pretty profound that you see that even in the Old Testament. So again, like I said, I would be taking you through these little side roads and nuggets of truth. I want us to highlight that because that's a really important doctrine that we can get from these verses. But let's come back real quick. So we're understanding the gospel uh, the gospel and the doctrine of justification. And we read Romans. Let's get back to verse 7 here of Genesis 15. I promise you, I'm keeping you on a steady road. I'll, I'll take you back and forth here. But these are some amazing truths that we have to highlight. So what is taking place? So we read verse 6. God is assuring Abram again. He is crediting him to righteousness because Abram is once again believing in the promise that God has given him. And then in verses 7 through 8, we um, see God reminding Abram where he brought Abram from. So he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Verse 8, Abram continues to bring his doubts, his fears, his uncertainties before the Lord. Do you see how important, by the way, Genesis 15 verse 1 is now? Do you see why God is continually having to remind Abram that he's his shield, his protector, his reward? But do you know that God is eager to do that even for us? We need to be reminded every single day, God is our shield, God is protector, God is reward, because life circumstances can bring us great fear, can can enhance our doubts. But as I mentioned before, with that question, do we ever bring our fears, our doubts, our concerns before God? Here's why I ask that, because maybe sometimes you might be thinking, I can't bring my doubts to God, I can't bring my fears, won't that show a lack of faith on my part? Look at this interaction between Abram and the Lord. Does God lash out on Abram and say, Abram, I have told you this a hundred times. I told you, I'm the eternal God. Who are you as a human to, to, to doubt me? He doesn't lash out on Abram. He doesn't say, hey, I've told you this a thousand times. You're going to get an heir. Um, your offspring will bless all the peoples and the nations of the world. Like, You need to trust me. No, he doesn't say that over and over again. He deals with Abram patiently, compassionately, God answers Abram's questions and doubts, and God even demonstrates his faithfulness to Abram, as we're going to see in these next passages. 
See, we need to know that we are human. We have fears. We will doubt even when we shouldn't. We will doubt even when it's clear to us that God will be faithful. Even when we've seen him be faithful in the past, it's just our human nature to fear and to doubt. But take heart. Even though we need constant reassurance, God is happy to do it. Remember, as we learned about that doctrine of justification, we are secured in Christ no matter what life brings uh, throws at us, no matter what happens, no matter what life's circumstances tell us or, or uh, dictate. We are secured in Christ. His promises remain true. And because of this interaction as Abram's having with the Lord, we can have confidence to bring our requests before the Lord. He's a good God. He's a patient king and is eager to hear the concerns of our heart. So as I mentioned, Abram again, he's being, he's being patient. He's being compassionate with Abram, but God is going to demonstrate the faithfulness, his faithfulness to Abram in the next few verses. We, we, we see in verses 9 through 11 that God requests Abram to bring him animals to sacrifice. So this reassures Abram that God will keep his covenant. It's a ceremony, right? A ceremonial covenant. And, and this will reassure Abram that God will keep his covenant and that God will do just as he says. This sacrifice was a sign of that covenant. We see some fascinating um, prophecies in verses 12 through 16, right? We read that, um, the Hebrews will be enslaved by the Egyptians. God will punish Egypt and the Hebrews will emerge as victors with many possessions. We, we're going to study that in the book of Exodus. Um, God prophesies that actually eventually the Hebrews will come back to that land, um, to, to Canaan. That, um, and then God even predicts Abram's peaceful death, which we're going to read uh, in just a few weeks in, in the book of Genesis. And then we encounter verse 17, which I think is very fascinating as well. Um, I have on my lecture notes highlighted what is happening in verse 17, because it's a fascinating verse. And let me just read it briefly. Um, so God, again, is demonstrating to Abram, he's going to keep his covenant. He's going to be faithful to his word. And we see in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. A quick plug for the notes again, I would really encourage you to read the notes because it provides some fantastic historical um, context to this. Uh, what we learn about ancient cultures is that whenever there was a covenant or a solemn agreement or contract that had to be made, uh, the two parties that were making that promise or that covenant with one another, it was ceremonial. It was official to really highlight that both members of the party would keep that covenant and promise. And what you would do is you would, as we see in these verses and what Abram did, is he would cut the animals um, as, as a sign of the covenant, um, he would cut them in half and he would face the two halves kind of on opposite sides of, of each other. And the parties who had made that covenant with one another would walk through um, those halves of the animals that were sacrificed. Read the notes. It's kind of an interesting ceremony. It's, it's of course, a little bizarre to us in the 21st century, but it's very interesting. And God is, is demonstrating. God, of course, knows the context of this. Abram is living in an ancient culture. Abram would have been familiar with a ceremony like this. So God is demonstrating here, um, as we see smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, we know the smoking fire pot, the blazing torch, are symbols of God's presence. They're symbols of God himself. Pretty common in scripture for God um, to be um, symbolized as uh, blazing fire or as fire or smoke in general. So God here is just saying as God is, see the blazing torch appeared, passed through the pieces, right? Passing through the pieces of the animals. God is saying here that he is the one that is going to keep this covenant. He himself 
will fulfill this promise. Again, this promise, not ultimately dependent on Abram. It is dependent on God. And it's such a powerful truth, right? Because as we just read about the doctrine of justification, our salvation started with God. It depends on God. It does not depend on us, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor and love. And once we are in Christ, there's nothing that we can do for God to love us any less because we are justified. We are secured in Christ because of his death and resurrection. God is just saying in this verse to Abram, I'm the one that's going to keep this covenant. I'm the one that's going to be faithful. Be faithful. He's passing through the animal halves. He's saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm the promise keeper. I will bring to fruition this covenant. And in verses 18 through 21, we see that God reinforces his eternal covenant with Abram. And that leads us to our first principle, which is that God's faithful provision meets our true needs. God's faithful provision meets our true needs. See, we know that Abram had needs, right? He was struggling through his doubts. He was struggling through his fears. He needed to be reassured that God would fulfill his promises. Does that sound like you and me? It sounds like me. Um, Every single day, I know I am assaulted by feelings of fear and uncertainty and anxiety. And I, I start to fear and I forget God and I forget his promises. And if you think about what maybe some of your needs are, um, maybe they're needs for companionship. Um, maybe you have a need for your fears to be eased. You have a need for peace, for rest, to be reassured about the future. The list goes on. If we just think about the many needs that we have as human beings on this earth, they are many. The list is great. But we know that our greatest predicament, and thus our great need, was that our sin separated us eternally from God. We read that in the opening ver- verses, in the opening chapters of Genesis. Our sin separated us eternally from God. Our rebellion condemned us to hell. But as we just learned through justification, that this has been taken care of by Christ. Jesus has given us access to the Father, which is our greatest need. God is our greatest need. He is our great reward. Justification tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we are declared righteous by God, and we can be sure that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. And if we are in Christ, our greatest need has already been met. And because our greatest need has already been met, we can trust him to fulfill our other earthly needs. And I have to, a quick point here. Um, He is faithful to fulfill our needs. We know he's faithful to Abram's promise. We can absolutely be sure that God is faithful to the new covenant promise made through Christ, which is that we are forgiven, that we are justified before God, that we are eternally secure in the Son. Um, But what about all those earthly needs, right? The many earthly needs, as I mentioned, that we have. We can be uh, we can trust God to fulfill those needs, but I have to say that they might be met in ways we would never expect. See, the trajectory of the life that God has planned for us is often so different than the ones that we would have planned for ourselves. But we know we can come boldly, as Hebrews 4, 16 tells us, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace in our time of need. Because whatever we need today, Christ is faithful to meet it. I want to assure you of that. He will provide his protection. As we learned in Genesis 15, 1, he'll provide his assurance 
that whatever happens in this life, he will be our stable foundation. And if, re- if you really think about that, that's really all we truly need, right? It's security from the creator of the universe. What more can we need? So I would encourage you with your needs, with your fears, with your uncertainties, come to him right now, trust him, receive his tender mercy, receive his great grace, because he's faithful and he desires for his people to come to him with their concerns. He eases our fears. He reminds us and reassures us that he has taken care of our lives. Our lives are spoken for. We are justified before God. Powerful spiritual truth. All right, let's quickly move on to division two, which is through Genesis 16. And the title of this um, division is that God is God's faithful provision, as we learn about God's faithful provision. So chapter 16, verses one through three, we are, verses one through three illustrate the predicament that Abram and Sarai were in. Uh, they had been waiting um, a long time for a child. And if you actually read um, the timeline from these verses, you realize it's actually been another 10 years that you're waiting, that they have been waiting for a child. Um, that decade is a long time, if you think about it. I mean, if you think about 10 years waiting for God to answer this this promise, um, it's hard for us to imagine. In a fast-paced, immediate culture as ours here in the 21st century, because um, we can often, um, we have a million apps on our phones, on our mobile device, right, that we can just demand for a service um, to be uh, fulfilled. You look at uh, Uber or you look at Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever it is, by the touch of a button, you can have something at your fingertips in a matter of seconds. So it's hard for us, I feel like, in this culture to wait for things. <laughs> I certainly have, have, have a tough time waiting for something. But if you dive in a little bit deeper, we can ask a deeper question, which is what are you actually waiting for? What are the things in your life that you are truly waiting for? I'm talking about those things that are hidden in your heart, those things that maybe you've shared with those um, closest friends or closest people that know you the best, as I mentioned in our introduction. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for this pandemic to end? I'd second that, absolutely. Um, I think I feel like all of us are waiting for 2020 and this pandemic to be over with. But what about other things? Are you waiting for a spouse? Are you waiting for the next big moment to jumpstart your career or the next big thing to add a spark to your life? Uh, Maybe it's for a loved one to come to faith in Jesus. And I wish I could tell you today that everything you are waiting for and everything that you are waiting on will be fulfilled just as you need it to be. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't because I don't know the future and life is unpredictable to us. See, God knows our lives. God knows our future, but we don't. Our walk is by faith, and he directs our life ultimately for his glory and for our good. His thoughts, his ways are higher than ours. But whatever we are waiting for, these passages illustrate that what we do in the waiting matters. And Genesis 16 reminds us that the one we are waiting on, God himself, he will never put us to shame because he is good, he is perfect, he is holy, and he meets us even in the waiting. So let's bring you back to these opening verses here. Verse four here reads, um, so verses one through three, again, we see Abram and Sarai wrestling with their lack of a child. Um, They're in their older years. So you can imagine this is getting harder and harder for them. Um, And then we see Sarai and Abram taking matters into their own hands. 
um, verse 4 highlights just how they did this. Verse 4 reads, Abram slept with Hagar. Hagar conceived. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So what's happening is Abram and Sarai, they're devising this plan. Um, God's not going to give them a son through natural means, through Sarai, because they're way too old. Um and so we're just going to go down the route of our maidservant. We're going to have a child. We're going to conceive a child through there. This is, again, taking matters into their own hands, and the results are not great. Um, what we see here is Abram and Sarai turning against one another. Um, we see them growing impatient um, with God's promise. And as this conflict is created, we see Hagar this maidservant, become a victim of their circumstances, a victim of their bad choices, of their sin, as Hagar is mistreated. This is not at all, of course, what God intended. And as we further read, Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar, and Hagar wants to get away. She actually probably wants to go home. She escapes. She flees into the wilderness. And just imagine as we approach verses 7 and 8, Think about Hagar's predicament and and circumstance. She's pregnant. She's just been mistreated um, by uh, Sarai and really Abram too. Abram was not a help at all. Um, She's alone. She's afraid. She's scared. And again, as I mentioned, she's probably just trying to get home. She wants to get out of this situation. And I love, though, verses 7 and 8. Have you ever been in those positions, by the way, where you feel like, oh my goodness, I am facing an impossible situation. I'm in the wilderness. I'm alone. I feel like I'm in a desert. I feel like I'm wandering. I feel like there's no hope. Once again, though, we, are, we encounter the greatness of our God. Verses 7 and 8. And let's read these verses. So Hagar's alone. She's pregnant. She's running away. She's in the desert. And verse 7 reads, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road, of Sh- the road to Shur. And as he said, Hagar, servant of, of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Let's pause right there. A few things to note. So first of all, um, I love this question in verse 8. Um, before we get that real quick, I have to highlight that the angel of the Lord, many scholars believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. The notes mention this briefly. So again, I'm really plugging in the BSF notes. So I really encourage you to read those this week. Um, but you know, that some scholars believe that this is, this is the pre-incarnate Christ because again, the verse reads the angel of the Lord rather than an angel of the Lord. Uh, we're going to read in verse, um, 13 and a little bit that Hagar, um, actually refers to this the angel of the Lord as God. Um, so again, hints that this could be the pre-incarnate Christ, which I think is very exciting and very interesting. So if you want to look at that for further context, I would encourage you to do that. But for the sake of, of time, we are going to move on here. Um, so verse 7, that's interesting. Verse 8, I love this question that, that the angel of the Lord asks Hagar. And he says, where have you come from? Where are you going? Now we know God knows everything. God knows why Hagar is running. God knows where Hagar came from. But I often think that in my times of running, in my times of wandering, in my times of great distress, I have felt God ask me that same question. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Where are you running to? It's almost like a question saying, 
is running going to solve all of your problems? <laughs> is running away or running to someone else other than God, is that really going to solve what your heart is struggling with, whatever it may be? So think about that. When you've had distressing moments, when you've had those moments of running away, have you ever felt God, who maybe in reading his word, pause and say, hey, where are you going? Where are you running from? And I love that question because it just shows the intimacy of God and his relationship with us. And let's read verses 9 through 12 here. Verse 9 says, Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him, excuse me, you will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And I love what Hagar says in verse 13, which is, She gave the name, this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Oof. Gives me chills because those are powerful verses. God reassures Hagar, right, of his promises to her and her son. God illustrates to Hagar that he sees, he knows her completely. And in these verses, I often think about the people that know me best, right? As I mentioned in our introduction, the people that know me best, the people that know my personality, my closest friends, my family. You have those people that are coming into your mind right now. But it occurred to me, right, from verse 13, the, you are the God who sees me, who knows me. It is really God and God alone that only knows me completely. He knows the fears, the things that I hold deep in my heart, the things that I will not share with anyone else. You have those too, right? You have those things that you don't share with others. But we can be rest assured here that God is the only one who truly sees. He's the only one who truly knows. He's the one who loves, who pursues us. And as, we, as we're going to learn right now from this principle, he's the only one that has the answer to our questions. And that leads us to our final principle and our conclusion today, which is that God himself is our greatest need. God himself is our greatest need. As I was reflecting on these passages, and we were discussing this actually in our leaders meeting um, this past week, um, and it made me think of another time when God met a woman at the well. And I know in Genesis 16, it's not necessarily a well. Genesis 16 says that it's actually a spring in the desert. I understand that, but bear with me as I compare some similarities between this passage and the passage I'm referring to, which is, which is of course, John chapter 4, as Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you remember that account from Genesis chapter 4, we know that the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets has a lot of needs. She needs a stable relationship. We learned that at the time she had five husbands and that the man she was living with wasn't her husband. She was likely very lonely. You know, she needed friends. She needed a community. She was drawing water in the heat of the day, perhaps because it was the only time she could be in public alone without her community or her village passing judgment on her. But Jesus knew that her greatest need wasn't any of those things above. They were important, and Jesus saw them. Jesus knew about them. 
But Jesus knew her greatest need was, as he illustrates in John 4, verse 13, that this, that she needed the spring of water welling up to eternal life. In Genesis chapters 15 and 16, we see three individuals, Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, all with very great needs. See, Abram was waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Sarai was waiting for a son. Hagar was needing protection from mistreatment. And she longed to head home. And we all have a great deal of needs. Needs that are harbored deep in our hearts and deep in our souls. As I mentioned, those things, those deep needs that we may not share with anyone else, even though the ones that are closest to us. But we have to know that our greatest need is God himself. You know, he's the source of all life. He is our creator. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the eternal God. It's only natural that we, his creation, would find our ultimate rest and ultimate fulfillment in him and him alone. It makes sense. But we have to know also that if we are believers, if we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ who have come to know Jesus, the great barrier between God and man called sin has already been broken. As we learn about the doctrine of justification, Jesus overcame our sin. He defeated our death. He's given us a new life, his life. Our greatest need has been met in Christ. We have full access to the Father. As Romans 8, 31 through 39 boldly declare, nothing can separate us from God. But I have to share with you that if you are not confident that you have come to Jesus in faith today, your greatest need still has not been met. As I've mentioned before, there can be a litany. We have a list of needs and things that we are waiting on. And that list can go on and on and on. We are humans. We are a needy people. But our greatest need is God himself. And if you have not come to Christ for salvation, don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Christ stands at the door of your heart ready to receive you. And if you want to know more about what it means to follow Christ, ask your group leader or maybe a friend who brought you to BSF. And you can ask him, what does it mean to be a follower of God, to be a follower of Christ? And like Hagar and the Samaritan woman at the well from John chapter 4, you're going to find the spring of living water. You will meet the God who sees, who knows you completely, who understands you completely. And you will meet him in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these scriptures. Thank you for these powerful powerful verses that you've given us in Genesis chapters 15 and 16. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this day, whatever needs and desires that we have, God, that you would be faithful, that you would remind us that you desire that we bring our needs before you that you will answer on your time, that you will fulfill our needs in your own way, but God, that our greatest need is is you. And you have already accomplished that greatest need for us in your son, Jesus. God, I pray for those who are contemplating a relationship with you, Lord, would you make it so that they come to faith in you today? Today is the day of salvation that they would not wait. I thank you, Lord, that you continue to meet us in your word, that you are ever faithful. You are the God who sees, you are God who knows, you are the promise keeper, you never leave us and forsake us, and you do just as you say. And we lift all of these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you all so much for for listening. Stay safe, stay well, um, and God bless you all. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, December 7th at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 17 and 18. Please note that we are taking a Thanksgiving break on Monday, November 30th, and we will not be having regular group discussion. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.